Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 16. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. As I walk through this again, I'd just like to uh, invite you to consider the questions, am I passing on toward the heavenward call of God and am I pressing on in holiness? Specifically, a holiness that that, um, resembles the righteousness that Christ has attained already on our behalf. Um, in order to kind of walk through this, I'd like to just kind of go back to a couple things that I shared with you last week uh, based on some of these scriptures that we've already looked at, specifically the kinds of righteousness that Paul is detailing for us in these verses. We've already kind of seen uh, his uh, description of what I would call a form of self-righteousness or a righteousness of the flesh. Uh, basically physical behavior that might somewhat resemble um, uh, the law of God or a living according to the law of God or, um, or in a lot of ways in what tends to be fleshed out in, in a lot of people's lives is living in such a way that everyone else can approve of it as being a pretty good life, being a good man, so to speak. We saw in verses 4 through 6, Paul kind of describes his own personal righteousness that he lived by prior to his uh, to his meeting Jesus and becoming saved. He talked about all the things that he technically had a right to boast in. He said he was circumcised of the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, he was found blameless. Now that word blameless, we obviously know that Paul was not sinless, and Paul wasn't claiming to be sinless. But he was basically saying that according to the expectation of Jewish um, tradition, he was, he was as blameless as they come. 
And he was uh, compared to the rest of the Jews and to the rest of his particular Jewish sect, the Pharisees. He was the best of the best. So this is the kind of righteousness that we could live by, but it was not the kind of righteousness that was going to achieve for him right standing with God. And he was acknowledging that at this point because he comes to this place where he says in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, he thought those to be gain in his life, but he now considers them to be loss. They are of no value. He calls them rubbish because in the eyes of God, they are not enough to achieve right standing with God. And it is that same concept where we consider our own self-righteousness to be as filthy rags in the eyes of God. Not good enough. As if to say, God says, he looks at our lives and you, you think you're good, that's pretty good, but it's not good enough. In fact, in the eyes of God, it's not good at all. It's just filthiness. And Paul looks at all of that and considers it to be rubbish for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then in verses 7 through 11, we kind of see his explanation of what I would call a righteousness from God on the basis of faith. It is a gift of righteousness. It's a righteousness that's given to us as a present. It's a gift. That God gives to you and I, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, nor ever will. He gives it to us based on his mercy and his grace and on on the basis of a faith that he creates in our heart. Faith in him and he gifts to us righteousness that we could never attain. It's right standing with God that is a present. He says in verse Eight, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. There it is right there. I don't have a self-righteousness. I don't have a righteousness that I've attained derived from the law. He's not saying here that the law is bad. I want to clarify that. In fact, if you read all of the things that Paul said to the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Romans and and the Philippians and the Colossians, you can kind of build Paul's theology of law and you'll determine that Paul is not anti-law. He's not opposed to the law of God. He, in fact, values the law of God very much. But he's not finding his righteousness in his obedience to the law. And so then he says, not a right, having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So the only righteousness that he lays claim to is what is given to him by Jesus. And then he says, it comes from God, right, the righteousness which comes from God. Let me back up. I'm fumbling that in verse 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So it's a gift from God, basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So here he's saying that God has given him faith. God has given him right standing before the throne of God so that he may know God. That's identifying the fact that he's no longer separated from God because of his sin. There's no longer this great separation um, that keeps Paul from being able to 
uh, see God and know God and be in relationship with God. Now he is reconciled with God. He's made right with God. It's a relationship that God designed to be in unity that was once broken because of sin, but now has been restored through faith in Jesus Christ. He can now know God and the resurrection and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So now he's saying he can know the power of Jesus's resurrection because he has been um, he has been joined with Christ in Christ's death on the cross, and he has been joined with Jesus in his resurrection from the dead. Now Paul can know resurrection life because of what Jesus gave him, and that's a beautiful gift that he's talking about. This is the righteousness that we have as Christians, and I think this is what Paul is telling us to rejoice in over and over and over again, that we all lay claim to this right standing with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't tell us that we have to be good people in order to first know God. He tells us we have to be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is good on our behalf. This is a gift, and we can know resurrected life In verse 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So he's saying in order that I also might have the resurrection of dead because Jesus was resurrected from the dead because I have faith in Jesus. I also will be resurrected from the dead. He's speaking spiritually and physically. I think that's really important to remember when we look in this especially in the next few verses, because he kind of bounces back and forth between talking about something that is eternally done and something that is still taking place today. He's bouncing back and forth between a work that we are involved in now and, uh, and assuring us of a work that's already completed in Jesus Christ. So it's important to kind of see that. Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. He's already given us our place before the throne of God, holy and blameless before God. But he is looking forward to attaining what will come, seeing what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. Okay, Um, It may sound like I'm being really repetitive as I kind of say similar things to this week after week through the book of Philippians and other books that we study, but... um, One, it's because I really am rejoicing in this truth. And two, I feel like every time I go to explain it, it's always a little bit inadequate. So I'm always, I'm just going to keep trying to explain it over and over again. So, um, because it's just so wonderful. And Paul seems to keep making me have to say it. So um, anyways, it's such a beautiful thing. And he's telling us to keep looking forward at this. He's looking forward at this. This is a, this is a righteousness that is from God on the basis of faith. It's not a self-righteousness. Then there's the third kind of righteousness that I think he details in here. It is a righteousness that comes as a fruit of salvation. The life that we now live is going to be affected by what we know will come. And by what we know has already been eternally accomplished on our behalf. So the life that we live today is affected and should be affected by the righteousness that has already been attained on our behalf. Remember, it's that citizenship concept. We're already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We should live as though we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. One of the most wonderful things about heaven is its holiness. There is no more sin. There is no more death. There is no more corruption. There is no more evil or shifting shadow and weakness and 
and, uh, and what we might call great sins or little sins. All of it is done away with. It's all perfected. If we value that and if we look forward to that day, why would we continue to love sin today? If we truly love the idea of holiness, would we not strive for holiness today? Because if that is, after all, what we're looking forward to in the future. It does seem a little contradictory to say, I'm looking forward to heaven, but I love my sin today. That is almost as if to say, I'm looking forward to heaven, but not yet. I'm still having too good a time here doing whatever I want to do. And that's very contradictory to a life and a soul that's been saved and that's been changed by Jesus Christ. So we begin to see Paul detail what it looks like for him to live a Christian life, to live a life that has been transformed by Christ. He's now not trying to find his righteousness by way of the law. He's finding his righteousness by way of Jesus. But as a result of his righteousness by way of Jesus, he's now obeying the law. And he's living for the Lord and walking in obedience to God. And he's instructing us to do the same. And we see that detailed in verses 12 through 16 a little bit and some of the rest of these verses in the chapter. So let me just read those again. He says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So now he's not really giving any instructions yet. He's just sharing an example of how he's living and rejoicing in his own salvation. And out of the joy of his salvation, he's not going on continuing in sin. Instead, he's saying, I, I've, I'm not living as though I've already obtained everything that God's attained on my behalf. But I'm living as though... Uh, as, as though I am continuing to strive for those things. So let me kind of detail that a little bit. The first thing we notice in verses 12 and 13, he says, I press on so that I may ho lay hold of something. I'm pressing on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, that's a little bit confusing the way he said that. I, I want to lay hold of what I was already laid hold of for Christ Jesus' sake. So what he's saying there is that, first of all, Jesus has already laid hold of me. Now that, in essence, is salvation. That is becoming, that is being transformed by the power of God. We are not transformed because we laid hold of Christ. We're transformed because Christ laid hold of us. He laid hold of us for a reason in order to give us something. And he says, that for which I was laid hold of. He kind of says it backwards. I don't talk that way. Most of us don't talk that way. Um, maybe they did in, um, you know, in the 1600s. Um, maybe uh, in Greek it's kind of shuffled around that way. But in this, in this case, what he's saying is there's a goal, there's a, there's a gift that God wants to give, and Christ is laying, he said, Christ laid hold of me that I might have this gift. And I think he's referring back to this, what he's already said in verses 7 through 11. 
It is the attaining to that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is the work that God is working out in Paul. Jesus laid hold of Paul to give him all of that. And so he says, not that I've already obtained it. Not that I've already obtained it. And then another statement that he says in verse 13, he says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So now just remember, he's already said Christ has attained it on his behalf. He's already said it's not a righteousness of his own. It's a righteousness that comes as a gift of God. So he has spiritually and eternally already attained it. But what he's saying when he says, I, I do not, I, not that I have already obtained it, or I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. What he's saying is, I am living as though it is still in my future and I am striving for it. Not that he is saying that he's working for his salvation, but that he is looking forward to God doing, completing the work that he has started in him. He is basically saying, I have eternally been sanctified in Christ, but Christ is working out that sanctification in me now. And I am looking forward to God doing that work of sanctification in me day after day after day, today and tomorrow and the next day until I finally am perfected and glorified in Christ Jesus. So he's looking forward to that. He's living with his eyes on the future. And then he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So then we have this, this concept of pressing on. Pressing on. And he comes back to it here in these verses. He says, in verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, one thing I do. Now, in the next verse, after he says one thing I do, it looks as though he says three things. All right, so one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. It looks like three things, but really what he's saying is one thing I do, I press on. And this is what pressing on looks like forgetting what lies behind, and reaching forward to what lies behind. That's what it looks like to press on. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies behind. And those words, um, those words are kind of important. Um, the word forgetting means uh, to, uh, uh, to overlook or to not look back or to not pay attention to. Um, and it's, it's important to kind of understand that concept because... You know, it can be easy for us to say, you know what, I'm just not going to think about the past. But the Lord's taught us that there are some good things about our past that we're not supposed to forget. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, he told people after the Lord showed up for them and made himself evident to them in many, many, many very visual and vivid ways throughout the Old Testament. He instructed them to write those things down, to pass that those stories down to their children, to build monuments and bring their children back to those and bring their grandchildren back to those. Tell those stories, tell those stories, tell those stories because they weren't supposed to forget God on display. There's a lot that God has revealed to us in our own past and in our 
um, in our spiritual family's past that we're not supposed to forget, that keeps us on the rails, that keeps us focused on the truth, that keeps us from falling prey to false teaching. There's a lot from our past that we're supposed to remember about God, a lot that he has revealed um, over the years in our lives, through our circumstances and our, and our experiences that we're supposed to remember because God's used those to sanctify us. God's used those um, to uh, purify us and to um, refine us and to continually uh, increase our faith. We're not supposed to forget that stuff. There's also a lot of sin that we've com com committed that we remember, we know about, and the Lord's revealed to us that those things are sins. And we're supposed to remember those sins and remember what those sins cost and remember the consequences of those sins, repent of those sins. And repentance means to not go back to those things. And in order to not go back, we have to remember what we came from. So it is good for us to remember that stuff. There's, there's warning and there is, there is a, uh, there's an instruction to heed in all of that. So he's not telling us to forget that. He's not saying, I've forgotten all of that. In fact, he hasn't forgotten because he's already told him what his life was like before he became a Christian. Don't forget who I was. Circumcised of the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, law of Pharisees, zeal persecuted of the church. He remembers all of that. And he doesn't glorify his past. But he doesn't forget it. But what he is talking about is something different. He's talking about uh, f not focusing on the things that would keep him from reaching forward to the goal keeping his eyes on the kingdom of God, keeping him focused and running hard uh, toward the work that God's called him to do. I'll give you an example of that, um, which is not much easier to understand, but I'm going to read it because Jesus said it, and, and um, it can be difficult to understand, but I think, um, I think it's very important for us to see. Maybe I didn't mark it. It's in Luke, Luke chapter 9. This is what Jesus said. Luke 9, verse 57. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said to them, as they were, or, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. Well, that's kind of, that's interesting. That was the end of that conversation. There was not a whole lot going on there. The guy said, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Moving on. And uh, you kind of left going, what, what does that mean? I'm sure that guy was like, what in the world does that mean? What, I think what Jesus was saying was that he's homeless. He doesn't have a home that he's going to. This is not going to be an easy life. You want to follow me wherever I go? You just need to know that. You need to know that you've, you've chosen a life that's not going to be easy. So come on. And then he tells another guy, follow me. But he said to the Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. He's not telling people not to bury their dead. But he is kind of saying that, you know, the dead people don't really need you anymore. But there's a lot of living people that need the kingdom of God. Set your eyes on the kingdom of God and let's go. And then he looks at another one and he says, Another also said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those who are at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. 
basically saying the kingdom of heaven uh, is, um, is, is moving forward. Don't look back at the things that would cause you to not strive after the kingdom of heaven. And Paul is saying, I, not that I've already obtained, I'm living as though I've not already obtained um, perfection. Uh, now, in my Bible, sometimes that word perf- perfect is translated perfect. Sometimes it's translated mature. Sometimes it's, uh, and those are, always, those are not always bad contexts to use the word mature and things like that um, in, in the particular context, but usually they mean perfect. And to me, in English, maturity and perfection are two different things. Um, yes, it does mean we're supposed to, maturity means growing up. It means setting aside childishness, growing up to more maturity, growing up to better understanding of the truth, um, a better application of wisdom and knowledge, um, a better uh, way of living our lives, growing in maturity. But Paul is calling the people to live towards perfection. God is calling us to live towards perfection. And to set that in our minds, holiness is set in our minds. Yes, that involves maturity and maturing and growing. And we know that none of us will attain to perfection until we are dead and glorified. But we are to set perfection in our mind and holiness in our eye. And that should be what we look forward to. And I think maybe what he's alluding to and not not viewing himself as having already attained it or forgetting what lies behind in these concepts is is he's kind of saying that it is possible that as we live our Christian lives we can to some extent look backwards at all the ground that we've covered and kind of said saying I've done pretty good I'm going to kind of coast from here on out or I've done my duty it's time for somebody else to do theirs and looking back at all that we've accomplished and achieved, and that somehow giving us permission to take a back seat. And Paul says he's not doing that. He's forgetting what's behind or, or anything that might be weighing him down that would keep him from focusing on the finish line. Now also notice that this language is very much like um, the language of running a race. Um, Paul uses that as an example a few, on a few occasions, but he's talking about laying hold of a prize, laying hold of a prize. That there's a goal, there's a prize at the end of the race, and he wants to keep his eyes on the prize, so to speak. I'm going to rhyme a little bit, but he's focusing on the end. And um, I'm, not a, I'm not a runner. I can run short distances, you know, a little bit. Um, I'm athletic in some ways, but not, not in a lot of ways. Um, when I was in high school, I joined the track and field team for a little while. And um, I was the smallest kid on the team. And uh, I was by no means an athlete then either. And um, uh, one day I decided to, uh, in one of our meets, I decided to join the sprint team and give it a shot. And, uh, you know, of course, I was the slowest kid after that little fire went off, the little gun, pow, everybody takes off running, and I'm just, you know, breathing as hard as I can, and everybody blows past me, you know, and uh, I'm the slowest kid dragging, and I just, you know, about halfway there, I'm just like, okay, I get the message, you know, and I'm jogging my way through the finish line, and my coach came up to me, and he was like, hey, what'd you do? And I was like, man, I, I don't know, man, I've 
I'm just slow. And he's like, no, 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 you slowed down halfway to the finish line. Why'd you slow down? And I was like, well, I already lost. He said, well, that's not, he said, the point was to do your best. And then next time you try to do better than your best. And then not to worry about all these others. No, there's, don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to win. And there's always going to be a winner. And there's going to be a whole bunch of losers. But I didn't want to be a loser by any stretch of the imagination. I think I would have settled for second or third. But, um, but I really didn't want to be dead last. And, uh, but it, I was grateful that he told me that. I never did try to run the sprint again after that. Um, I had other sports um, that I participated in. Um, but, uh, um, but it did kind of show me a little bit about racing. And I know that a lot of athletes kind of strive in that similar fashion, that when you're running a race, you can't look back to see who's behind you because it slows you down every time you turn your head to look behind you to see what's, what's coming up behind you or to see how far you've gone or to see what everybody else is doing and focus on how everybody else is running the race. All of those things are distractions that would keep you from doing your very best at striving for the goal. And I feel like in the, Paul is drawing on some of those illustrations um, and he's saying that as we strive for the goal of Christ Jesus, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, we should forget or overlook what's behind us and around us so, so that we keep our eyes set on the prize and we continue to then reach forward. So it's not just simply not focusing on the, uh, uh, the way everybody else is running their race or the, how badly I've run the race in the past or how good I've run the race in the past. That's another, that's another potential pitfall for us is looking back at how uh, we've attempted to live our Christian lives and seeing failure after failure after failure after failure in our attempt at being obedient to the Lord. Sometimes that can be discouraging and sometimes that can cause us to throw our hands up and say, you know what, I've done my best, I'm not going to do much better. So it is what it is. It'll be what it'll be. I pray the Lord has mercy on me. And I think Paul is saying, no. He's saying we're going to forget what lies behind. And then we're going to reach forward. And that reaching forward means to strain. It's to strain. It's to focus on that goal and to strain to get there. And that goal is holiness. We know, again, that we, are, we have a holy and right standing with God already. Not to throw that into doubt. But the life that I live today, by no means is holy. In my, my physical behavior, my thoughts, my attitudes, my choices, my, my actions and my reactions to the world around me is marred with unholiness. And... The Lord doesn't want me to wallow in shame over that. He doesn't want me to give up on that and say, may the grace of God abound. He doesn't want me to boast in my ability to grow better and better at obeying the law. Instead, he wants me to continue to set my eyes on the goal and strive after it, to press on. And ultimately, I think what we find is that our eyes should be set on Christ because Christ is the source of the righteousness in our lives and it is the indwelling Christ that's going to produce the righteousness in our daily behavior, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's take a look at these scriptures again. 
Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that word upward means heavenward. It's a heavenward calling. It's an eternal calling. It's a holy calling. God's calling us to, to live like Christians, to live like citizens of the kingdom of God, to live like we are holy. We are holy before the throne of God. Let's live like it. And so then he says, let us therefore, in verse 15, let us therefore as many as are perfect, there it is again, and some translators would, might use the word mature there, but it means perfection. And there, because he's bouncing back and forth, he's talking again about our identity in Christ. As many as are perfect, as many as of us as have a relationship with Jesus. If you love Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are perfect before the throne of God. He says, as many as are perfect have this attitude. Now, Paul's already kind of given us his example of how he's lived this out. Now he's instructing you and I as a church, specifically the Philippian church, but we can apply this to our lives and our church. And he says, now, uh, let us therefore, that's his transition. He's saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is my example. This is how I'm living my life out in obedience to Jesus Christ. Let us together, therefore, as many as are perfect, brothers and sisters in Christ, have this attitude. And what, added is, what attitude is he talking about? Exactly what he's already said. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, we press on. We, we strain toward the goal. Have this attitude. And if there's any aspect of your life that doesn't measure up to that attitude, I pray that the Lord will show that to you is what he says. He says, let, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. So he's saying, let's, let's forget what lies behind. Let's reach forward to the goal. Let's press on together. And if there's any aspect of your life that doesn't measure up to that attitude, he's confident that God will reveal that to all of us. So he's trusting in the grace of God and the spirit of God in my life and in your lives to do the work that he's promised that he's going to do. So he's saying together, let's, let's join together in this journey to Jesus and this striving for the kingdom of God, so to speak. A couple scriptures that I want to read in this um, is Hebrews chapter 6. Um, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, you get a little bit of this concept where he says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead and works of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Just another example where the writer of Hebrews is calling the believers to um, trust the fact that you are believers, that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but you are to leave the elementary teachings about Christ and press on toward maturity. And there's that word again, maturity. We are supposed to, he's talking about growing. The writer of Hebrews is talking about growing, so maturity is a good word. But in Greek, that word means pure. Press on to purity. 
We are to set holiness before our eyes. Not be content in our immaturity at being obedient to the law of God and the will of God and the righteousness of God. Don't be complacent in your sin. Deal with it and press on towards holiness. Another example um, that I really enjoyed reading this week was uh, Hosea. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. It says this, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. And that was a reference to being punished by God because of their wickedness and sin. But he will heal us. Remember a lot of the prophecy was the, the prophets, uh, they, they had a then and now fulfillment. Um, they were seeing this in real time, but we, were, but we are seeing the revelation of this in Jesus and in our lives. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. We have been wounded because of our sins. We've been punished and we have seen the judgment of God on display. And we have received a call through the law of God and through his wrath on display on this earth. We have seen his call to repentance. But praise the Lord through Jesus Christ. He's raised us up on the third day through our conformity to Christ through our identification with Jesus on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. We are raised up on the third day. And then he says that we may live before him. The only way we can live before God is by receiving forgiveness from our sins so that we can have right standing with God. The only way that can happen is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse three, so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His goings forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. That's how Christ came to us. He comes to us like the rain, like the spring rain. His coming then was as certain as the dawn after the certainty of the darkness. So we lived once in the darkness, and we now live in the light, and the Lord has called us to trust in Jesus for salvation. He has raised us up on the third day, and so we are called to press on to the Lord. We're called to press on to the Lord. So Paul's instruction was, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Two instructions he gives us. Have the attitude that Paul has, which was to forget what lies behind, reach forward to what lies ahead, press on toward the prize of the upward, the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on toward that. The kingdom of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the glorification that we know will come. We're to press on to that. We're to keep our eyes on that. But he says to keep living by the same standard to which we have already attained. And there it is again, that eternal, uh, that eternal uh, word regarding what Christ has already attained on our behalf. Which is holiness, which is righteousness. We are to keep Living by that same standard. And what does it mean to keep living by? That phrase, keep living by, means to follow in line. Follow in line with. He's telling us to walk the line. 
He's telling us there is a straight and narrow way. Walk that way. There is a right way of living. There is a holy way of living. There is a righteous way of living. Live that way. So, yes, all of us, I think, um, are growing in our um, understanding of the riches of our salvation. And we rejoice in that daily. And at the end of every day, we rest on the grace of God, seeing the sins that we've committed. We bring them to the throne of God. We confess them and we seek the power of God to help us repent of those things. But we rest on the grace of God. But in doing that, I think as even as Christians, even as born again, blood bought, redeemed people of God, we have a tendency to also grow complacent and conform again to the ways of the world rather than conforming to the righteousness of Christ. And I think Paul is encouraging us, don't doubt what's been attained on your behalf by Jesus, but press on and live in righteousness. Live that righteousness. So that's that third kind of righteousness, which is a fruit of salvation. And I'd just like to remind you, too, we studied this in one of our community groups this past week, John 15, the... the um, uh, uh, the vine and the branches. Abiding in Christ produces the fruit. We want to see the fruit of righteousness in our lives, but it comes from being with Jesus. And that's the beauty of this. There's no condemnation in this, in this text. There's no, there's, no, um, there's no shaming the believers into doing good out of fear of losing their salvation or out of fear of facing the wrath of God. But it is instead, it is a, you have been brought into the beautiful holiness of God and you are with Jesus. Let that produce evidence in your life. Let your life become conformed to what you know to be true about you. This is true about you. Live as though that's true about you. What does Romans 8 teach us? It teaches us that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. God determined before the foundations of the world to conform you and I into the image of Christ. Which means he, it is his will and it is his plan and that's encouraging. As we press on toward the goal, as we run that race and we feel weak and we watch everybody blowing past us because they're obviously more righteous than we are. And we, we feel weak and we feel like failures and we feel like quitting most days. We are reminded that it is the will of God to conform us to the image of Jesus. It is God's plan to keep doing the work that he started in us. And not just to keep doing the work, but to complete the work. He will complete that work. And the work is to make us into the image of Jesus for the glory of God. He will produce in you and I the fruit of righteousness. We can take comfort in that, but we are not to grow complacent with sin. So back to the two questions I asked. Am I pressing on toward the heavenward call of God? No matter what happens in life, no matter what 
pains or difficulties, successes or failures that I endure, will I press on toward the heavenward call of God? And then will I press on in holiness that reflects the holiness that I have already attained in Christ Jesus? Will I be a citizen of the kingdom of God that looks like a citizen of the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.